John Calvin said this in one of his prayers. He said, keep me in the joyful remembrance of my final rising. Keep me in the joyful remembrance of my final rising. But I can tell you that I personally don't often have that sense of the joyful remembrance of my final rising, the, the resurrection of my body, the resurrection uh, that will come in the second coming of Christ. And uh, too often, uh, Christians today do not have any uh, baseline understanding, desire for, longing for, uh, seeing Jesus again being resurrected with him. But that is the hope of Christianity. It is the hope of Christianity. That we will be resurrected again. And yet what we've been talking about throughout this series is that instead of appropriating the life of Christ and, and his kingdom that he brings to us uh, in the appropriate way, we bring it into our life and say, my life isn't going well, and so, uh, God, would you make my life go better? And at first, that's good because we, we kind of say, you know, with Carrie Underwood, would Jesus take the wheel and I am ready for you to take over? Uh, but then pretty soon life goes better, and now we say, Jesus, I just want you to put gas in the car, all right? I just, I just want you to get me the new car. I just I want you to somehow keep my tires filled. And so now Jesus becomes the, the propulsion behind our life, but he isn't our life. His kingdom isn't the thing that we long for, isn't the thing that we desire. And you could go to a Christian college. Welcome back, college students. Uh, you could go to any college. You could be uh, in school. You could be at a Christian school. You could be at a, at a church. You could be in a, in a community group. You could be deeply involved, as we said two weeks ago, and yet you could come to the end, uh, the end of days and say, Lord, Lord, and, and Jesus could potentially say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. And the truth is, is this, is that Jesus was never your life. You were never looking for, longing for, living for the kingdom of God. You had not actually become a Christian. You had taken on American Christianity. And guys, that is our problem. And you can learn it anywhere. You could learn it here. You could learn it in any setting at any time. And you could become somebody who is deeply ingrained in religion and yet in a very shallow way, ingrained in the life of Jesus Christ. There would be no root in your life. And so the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope of the gospel of the kingdom of God, ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus' second coming. But the thing that I want to hear right now, and the reason why I'm telling you this is because I'm afraid that you and I both, because i got to preach to myself too, will we'll lose interest by the end of the sermon and we'll just go, you know, I just want you to tell me how my life can be better. I just want you to tell me how, how I can get the girl or the guy or I can somehow get the job or just be more moral or stop doing this. I just want you to tell me this. But ultimately, your, your ultimate hope has got to be in God's kingdom. 
and its fulfillment in that sense. And if that is not there, it's, we, we got to get there. We got to go there. We got to be a part of it. This week, over the last, uh, I think it's been a little more than seven days, I think eight, nine days now, since the hurricane hit uh, down in uh, Texas. I, have, I actually lived in Corpus Christi for a little while. It hit there first and then into Houston. I, I think I still have family that's actually in the city of Houston. I don't think they're affected by it because I haven't heard from them in that respect. But um, it's, it's a disaster. But when you look at uh, something of that magnitude, when you look at the floods, it is overwhelming how much water there is. It is overwhelming. And the awestruck um, look that people have on their faces, just saying, this is, I, this is untold suffering. People dying, homes being destroyed, lives being wiped out. You think about the magnitude of that. You think about the, the, the devastation that's going on in people's lives. You think just a, a few weeks back, the eclipse that was kind of centered in, uh, you know, it, in Salem and uh, throughout Oregon and Madras and then across the country and so forth. And just how our world was enamored with, with this. And people are looking up in the sky and they're just going, wow, that is so amazing. Like this, this, this the craziness of how this happens and we just never see this. This is incredible, almost never see it. You think about that, you think about these these massive things that, are, that have gone on in our world recently. I'm going to bring these three things together here in a minute. But you think about the fairy tales that we, that we like to, to watch and, and, and see on TV, the remakes of like Cinderella and, and things like that. And you think about these fairy tale endings and you just go, ah, I just, I just want that to be that way. I want, the, I want uh, the, the bad guy to die and uh, the good guy uh, to win and to get the girl and something like that. Like these, these fairy tales that we, that we watch and that we see, these movies that we watch are incredible. The books that we read and we, we say we want life to be like this. It looks like a fairy tale. And the thing about it is this, is that fairy tales, we're drawn to them because they fly in the face of everything that happened down in Houston and everything uh, that we've, we've seen in our, li- in, in our lives. And, and, and it's almost like this eclipse. It's like, how could this happen again, this, this incredible thing? Well, here's the deal. That God is the one who is ultimately and finally going to bring the fairy tale to life. The reason why you desire this fairy tale, the reason why you desire this, the reason why when you look at an eclipse and you go, like, there's something in me. I don't know about you, but when I, when I saw it, when I was looking at that, I was, I was thinking to myself, like, man, God is just so much larger than I am. And you can look at a flood and you can just go, man, this is only, like, God is the only one that could control this. And when will it stop? And the only thing that can happen is this, is that God could orchestrate a fairy tale. And the reason why you want that is because God has orchestrated a fairy tale that will be true, that is and will be true. And it is called the kingdom of God. 
It is called the kingdom of God. But too often, we're not thinking of it in that respect. A lot of times when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about um, the scripture, we break it down into very simple forms. We say that there was creation. God created all things out of nothing, including Adam and Eve and all of these things. And everything was going great in the garden. It was paradise in many senses. It was God was ruling. He was reigning. That's what the kingdom of God is. God was ruling and reigning in that moment. But then Adam and Eve step out of that and they say, we want to rule. We want to reign our lives. And then every single one of us as a result does that. And so there's creation and then the fall comes. And it's paradise lost. The world is falling apart as you read through Genesis and then you just see the decline of humanity. You see murder and fighting and all kinds of things and sexual uh, immorality and everything that you can imagine. And it, it just goes downhill fast. But immediately after the fall, we hear about God's redemption plan. In Genesis 3.15, the proto-evangelion, the first gospel, God gives us an inkling of what he's going to do. God's redemption plan was not just inaugurated there. It was inaugurated before time began. God chose to do this. Why? For his own glory. God chooses to set into motion this great plan of redemption, knowing in advance that humanity would fall short, that humanity would say, I want to be in control. I want to be in charge of my life. And so what we oftentimes as Christians are, are, are very secure in knowing is this, is that we know about creation, we know about our sin, we know about redemption, but the, the, the fourth thing that comes is the restoration of all things. It is the restoration, it's the finality of what God is going to do. He's going to bring everything under his rule and his reign in its finality. But the question is, is this something that we want? Well, John Calvin was on to something when he said this. Keep me in the joyful remembrance of my final rising. I want to be reminded of what's coming next. I want to be reminded. I want to be reminded. I want to be reminded. But here's the problem is that so frequently we misunderstand the scriptures It could be different denominations or different movements in our world. But I want to keep bringing us back to the scriptures. I want to keep bringing us back to what the word of God actually says. And in humility, allow the word of God to teach us, unlike many people in our world today that are saying, you know what, the the word of God is changing and God has changed his mind on these things. Now, his word has not changed He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word has not changed. But here's here's the thing is that we get it wrong and it dissuades us from looking towards the future and saying, I am waiting for that better place and I'm living in the reality of what that will be. And here's what happens. Here's what happens. This is what the kingdom of God is not. The kingdom of God is not just a present reality. Even though when Jesus comes into his ministry, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's inaugurating, he's bringing, he has, he has started his kingdom. Even though that takes place. The kingdom of God isn't just a present reality. 
It's not, this isn't just all that we're up against, and now it's up to us Christians to put this together and to pull us ourselves up by our bootstraps. It doesn't mean that we have no role, but it doesn't mean that it's just up to us. It doesn't mean that it is just a present reality and we're not waiting for a future. Here's another way that we could go wrong with this. It's not just a future reality. It's not just in the future at some point. It's not just, you know what, this world's burning up anyway, and so I'm going to go get an underground bunker. I'm going to start eating MREs or stocking up on those things, churn my own butter, do all kinds of things, raise some chickens, you know, live off the land, uh, seclude myself out in eastern Oregon somewhere, join a militia, whatever it is, and I'm just getting ready for the end of, end of times, and I'm waiting for it to all come to an end. The, it's not just a future reality. And when you say, well, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm in the kingdom of God, but this isn't the kingdom of God, so I'm just waiting for that. I'm going to go live with my kids I'm gonna go, and, and, my, and my family and the people that I like and my guns. It's, it's not just that. And how, how many times do we get dissuaded from living in the present reality because of the, this, this obnoxious uh, brand of conservatism that has nothing to do with the scriptures. It just has nothing to do with it. It's, it, it and, and, by the way, Jesus didn't inaugurate his kingdom with a gun. He inaugurated it with a cross. His, his birth, and then ultimately a cross, I should say. That's, that's, how, that's how it comes. It doesn't mean that guns are bad. It just means this, is that Jesus has another way of bringing this kingdom. The Jews all had it wrong. Are, are, you, are you now going to inaugurate your kingdom? Are you going to take over the world? Are you, are, are, are you going to knock out the Romans? Are you going to free us, give us our land back? And for sure, that's promised. It's just future. They always had it wrong. They always had it wrong saying that we're going to take this by force. And Jesus is constantly saying, I'm not taking this by force. I'm taking this through love. I'm taking this through a cross. That's, that's how... That's how we win. That's how we express to our world what this really is. But when you get sidetracked with either liberal or conservative values, and I'm not even, and, and, and independent isn't any better. They all have their problems. But when you get sidetracked with those things, you miss the point of the scriptures and you get sidelined. It's not just something that we build but it's something that we enter into. It's something that we submit to. The kingdom of God is not just something that we build, but it's something that we enter into and submit to. And it's not God's covert plan to take over the world. God, God has not instituted some type of uh, mandate that we should take over these centers of power in our world, whether it's government or technology or what have you. God has not said that. Christianity has always spread in the shadows. When persecution comes and Christians are sidelined and Christians are killed, that's when Christianity grows. The church in China, it's amazing. It's growing. Who knows about the, the church in Iran? I, I haven't heard a lot of reports at, about that yet. But I can tell you that Christianity grows when the world is against us and we're not at the centers of power. 
So the kingdom of God is not about us getting into the centers of power. The kingdom of God is that our God is in the center of power and that we live in his kingdom and we have entered it. So that is what the kingdom of God is not. And when we get it wrong, we miss, we, we miss it. We miss it. We miss the reality of what's going on and we miss the way that we are supposed to be living. And so what we've been talking about is we've been talking about how the, the theme of the kingdom of God in one way or another is the common thread that goes throughout all of the scriptures. It goes throughout everything that we, that we read. And ultimately, God brings us into his kingdom by choosing us and choosing to save us and going to the cross for us and saving us through that, through his resurrection. And so we saw that all throughout the scriptures. I tried to show that over and over again. But like I said, too often we're, we're, we're about building our own kingdom. We're, we're about doing our own thing. And instead of saying, thy kingdom come and thy will be done, we say, my kingdom come and my will be done. That's the problem of humanity throughout history. It's my kingdom and my will that would be done. That's what Adam and Eve did. And so Jesus comes and he inaugurates his kingdom. And the confusion with the topic of the kingdom of God comes in this form, and that is, what is it, and when is it, and how is it? Well, let me give you a few things here. When is it? Well, it says in Matthew 12, uh, 12 verse 28, it says, the kingdom of God is present in Jesus. Uh, Jesus says this, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm casting out these demons. You should see that the kingdom of God is here and it's right now. The kingdom of God is present in Jesus. And yet it is still in the future. It's a future blessing. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. It's still a future blessing that the scriptures talk about. So in one sense, it's here, and in another sense, it's later. Here's another one. The kingdom of God is an inner spiritual blessing, Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, think about this. For those of us that are all about Jesus being my Savior, but not necessarily my King, when I talk about Jesus as Savior, that's good and well, and you need that, and you should think about that. You need a Savior big time. But what this is saying, the kingdom of God is not just this, but it's of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. How often do we long for the righteousness of God? We read through his word and say, like, I want righteousness, like, I'm aware of my sinfulness. I'm aware of the things that I have going on in my life. And yet, I want to be righteous. Like, that is not a refrain that our world knows that we are saying about ourselves. Our world believes, I just read through a list of comments uh, on, on a uh, national news um, Facebook site in regards to the Nashville statement and I, every single comment, you self-righteous, da-da-da, over and over and over again. 
What if our world saw us saying, I'm longing for the righteousness of God, not just in my world, but I'm longing for in my own life. I'm aware of my shortcomings, and I want people to know that this is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, that I'm longing for this. It's of righteousness. It's of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The peace that comes from the kingdom of God and saying, this is not my final resting place. It is, it is still yet to come, but I'm living in the peace of God right here and right now. Come hell or come high water, I'm living in the peace of God. I'm living in the joy of God through the Holy Spirit. So how many of us, as a part of our life, like what's coming out of us is righteousness. Like there's a peace about me, like Life may be falling apart, and yet I'm peaceful. I'm, life may give me every reason to not be joyful, and yet somehow I have joy. It's not walking around like a laughing idiot, like some Ned Flanders person from the Simpsons show. But it's a joy that comes. It just emanates from you. It just emanates through the Holy Spirit. I got sidetracked. Small sermon on that verse right there. The kingdom of God is something that God gives. Luke 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You don't work for the kingdom. You don't make the kingdom happen. The kingdom is given to you. It's a realm that we live in. We live under the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God. God's rule and his reign is his kingdom. When we live in that, we are living according to the kingdom of God that he gives to us. The kingdom of God can only be received through new birth. In John chapter 3, verse 3, it says this. Jesus answered Nicodemus. He's a religious guy, and he says, uh, how do I get in? Basically, that's a paraphrase. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, anyone who is born, uh, I'm sorry, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This born again thing, God is the one that has to do this. Do you desire it? Do you want it? God is the one that has to bring this. The kingdom of God will replace the kingdoms of the world in the future. What this means is this. America is not the kingdom of God. Shocker, I know. I know our money says, in God we trust. But what God is that? What God is that? America is not the kingdom of God. It might be China. Maybe later. But that was a joke. Don't take that. that <laughs> total heresy. Total heresy. Uh... Revelation eleven fifteen. the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And what this means is that King Jong, Kim Jong-un, there we go, yeah. Uh, I was going to say Kim Jong-dos, but it's un, it's un, all right. Um, another dumb joke, all right? <laughs> um, uh, his kingdom will come to an end. The kingdom of the USA will come to an end. 
all the kingdoms of the world will be subservient to the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Do you know what you need to do? You need to read or watch the news, or when you hear a crazy news report, when you watch what's going on down in Houston, or when you watch when these shootings are happening, the kingdoms of the world will be subservient. You will have no more power, Satan. You will have no more power, you tyrant, you dictator. And the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ will reign forever and ever. That refrain, our God reigns, our God reigns forever, his kingdom reigns. Like, that refrain must be on our minds in the middle of a test, uh, right before finals. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Like, the, the, he reigns. He's in control. He's in power. He, he's the one who, who will finally and completely bring all suffering to an end. Our God reigns. Matthew 21, verse 31 Talks about how the kingdom could be entered into now when Jesus says, Truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Jesus is saying, like, this can, this can happen now. Like, these people are entering into this. It's given to them prior to you. He's talking to religious people. The kingdom of God will be entered into later, Matthew 8, verse 11. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Then it says this in Mark 10, 15, the kingdom of God must be received now but entered into later. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So what is it? Is it now or is it later? And it's yes. People oftentimes have described it as being already and not yet. It's, it's already been inaugurated. Jesus began it. It will be completely fulfilled in the future when Jesus comes again. And our great hope comes from this, that through the resurrection, the crucifixion, the resurrection, I'm sorry, life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ... We get to enter into the kingdom of God in part, and we get to be completely in his kingdom in its fullness when Jesus comes again. That is the great hope of Christians. That is the resurrection that we are, that we are looking for. And so it says this in Revelation 21. What does this kingdom look like? John is prophesying here. He's seeing a vision. He's been told to write it down. And it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What's, it, what's this saying? It's saying that there is a new heaven and a new earth. Is it a brand new heaven and a brand new earth? Or is it re a restored heaven and a restored earth? People are split on that a little bit. It doesn't really matter. It's going to feel new at least, right? 
There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. And, and what's happening as a result is that there's this city that's coming down with this. And the sea will be no more, which is welcome news for people in Houston. And those other surrounding towns. The sea will be no more, which is rep represents danger. It represents a lack of safety. It, this is pictorial language. It's, it's describing something, and, it, and it's saying that what's happening is that uh, all of these things are being removed, and there's something new that's coming down. And there, there's not going to be any more of this, and it's, it's God's city. And he calls it a bride. If you skip down to verse 22, it says, And I saw, um, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, you have to read this, and you have to say, like, this may not be literal, trend, or literal exactly what we see, because it's pictorial language. John is just trying to describe what he sees and what it's going to feel like. But what this is saying to us is it's saying, Christian people who are enduring suffering, people of the world who are looking around and saying, like, this world seems like it's falling apart. It's just getting worse. When you look at God's city and you see what's happening there and you see this incredible thing, the, the lamp is the lamb. Like, God himself through Jesus is going to shine. It's going to be his glory by its light, the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. Like, we don't have any fear any longer. We don't have to have borders. There don't have to be gates. And there will be no uh, night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever Enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I'll come back to that in a second. I'm skipping around here a little bit. Do you see the descriptive language there of what's happening? Do you see that the Christian's life has to be rooted in, in Christ and saying, like, I am longing for that life. I'm longing for what God has for me. And I, and I have to preach to myself right now because how frequently am I not longing for that? You know what I'm longing for right now? My house to be finished. Like that's what I'm longing for. I'm just longing to be out of dust and trash and what, whatever that I made and, 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 a, and a big mess. And I, we just painted the other day, so that's amazing. I'm remodeling my house. If you didn't know that, I'm still not in it. Yeah, if you're back from, uh, you know, summer break, I'm still doing this. Yeah. But that's, that's what I'm longing for. And how often does that overshadow what God is doing? What I'm supposed to look for in God? Because my kingdom, my literal home, in essence, replaces the kingdom of God and the thing that I'm looking for. So I try to build a fortress, which is a good thing. It's a home. It's for my family. But too often, what do we do? We say, this is the one thing that I'm hoping for and that I need and that I long for. And do you know how you find out that it's a false kingdom? Is when it no longer satisfies. It no longer satisfies. 
Because it says this in, in verse 3 of chapter 21 in Revelation. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Like, what, what has to be going through our minds is this, like, I want to see God. I want to see him. I want to be there with him. I remember in uh, John, John Piper's book, uh, God is the Gospel. Like, on the very first page, I think I stopped right there. I didn't read any further because I was like, that's got to be the entire book right there. Just this one sentence, but it says, like, if Jesus wasn't going to be in heaven, would you still want to go? And what, what, what John Piper's trying to illustrate to us is that, like, the desire of heaven is not just that all of these things will cease to exist and this great comfort and this joy and this happiness will be there But it's Jesus, it's God being there and being with him. It is the presence of God in the city of God in a new creation that we're longing for and we're looking for and we're saying, yes, 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 this is what I want. He says in verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Man. Man, there's this sonship. There's this idea that he's my dad. And that's already true, but there's a sense in which it's going to, it's going to be felt in a new and different way. God with us is always... The incredible promise. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be with my people in the tabernacle. I'm going to be with them along the way in, in a, a cloud by day and a fire by night. The promise uh, was this, that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. God's people long to be with God. God's presence will be in his kingdom. Verse 4 says this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So there's going to be comfort, and there's going to be safety from God. The comfort and safety of God will be there. How often do we not feel comfort and safety in our lives? We can get alarm systems, we can, we can get weapons, we can hire police forces, we can do all kinds of things, and yet accidents can happen out of nowhere, and people lose their lives, and we lose things, but it says here that he's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's not just the tear that he's wiping away, but it's the source of the tear, It's not just the pain, but the source of the pain. It's not just the mourning, but the source of the mourning. And he says, for the former things have passed away. What's passed away? This world that has been subjected to futility, it says in Romans 8. This world that is just constantly frustrating, angering, causes pain, causes suffering. God's kingdom will come to us 
and it will wipe all of that out. Verse 5 talks about the satisfaction of God. 5 and 6, I should say. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is true. You can bet on it. This is what he's saying. Write this down. This is trustworthy. This is true. Do you believe God? Do you have faith in God? This is trustworthy and this is true, he says. Do you believe him? And he said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I am what there is, says God. And what he says next is so important. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water, of the water of life without payment. I'm thirsty now. No more dollar per bottle of water, right? A 10 cent tax on the bottle now? What the heck? Good grief. Seriously, it's water without payment. It says. Like, do you know what this means? Like, my, my body is wasting away. Like, my desires are, I'm constantly after other things. I want things to be different. I'm looking for satisfaction, and I can't get no satisfaction, right? Don't think about it. Don't do it. I, we, we're longing for it. It's just what a part, that's what our world is. It's like the epidemic of pornography in our world. It's like it just keeps going and it keeps going and it draws people in and it draws them in and it draws them in and it tears apart their life and their marriage and their world. I just can't get enough sex. Did you know that there was a thing called polymorous relationships? It's essentially being a male, uh, I shouldn't say that word in church, but, or female, whatever. It's, I'm going to have sex with everybody, right? Because I'm polymorous. It's just what I am, right? You know what that is? That's no satisfaction. So I'm reading in the Atlantic uh, this article about this woman who's Polly Morris, which means that she has multiple relationships with men and women. And the, the person who's writing the article is like, oh, that's very interesting, very cool. You know, and, 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 and like saying, you know, like, is there any jealousy? Like, are you nuts? Is there any jealousy? Like, what the heck? Like, she's being severely abused by men and women. She's being abused by her own desires. She's constantly looking for satisfaction. She cannot get it in one, in one person. She sat there over and over again saying, different people want different things. So like, you know, her, her main partner is this guy who is, I don't know, I, I don't know how she, she said he's a feminist or a, a feminist, a feminist, I don't even know how that works. Like he's a feminist man. 
So I'm not sure what that means. So basically, he doesn't open doors for her. So he's a punk, right? And so, he, he, and so she's like, so sometimes I want to be with my other guy who opens the door for me. And then sometimes I want to be with the girl because, because of that. Like, this is sick. Why'd you slap that guy in the face? They open the dang door. You going to go sleep with somebody else now? We laugh, but the problem is, is that that satisfaction leads, that lack of satisfaction leads every one of us to do equally ridiculous things. And not just in sex. You'll go into debt beyond belief, beyond our ability to pay. We'll do whatever, we'll pay any price. And it costs us whether it's in our physical well-being or our, we pay with our, our family. We take it out of our family. We take it out of our friends, our relationships. Because I'm not satisfied, and you're here to satisfy me. And so, so we're always coming with our hand out, and we're saying, I need satisfaction. I need satisfaction. I need satisfaction. And the kingdom of God says this. Like, you get now, in part, the satisfaction of Jesus Christ. And his kingdom. And when you seek after his kingdom and you just declare, you just declare with the Apostle Paul, like, man, I, I, I am doing what I, what I know that I shouldn't be doing and I, I don't want to do this. I long for righteousness. I, I want what God wants even though my body and my, my, even my mind is wanting something else constantly. The thing that God offers you is absolute satisfaction. He offers it now in part and in the future in its absolute fullness. And it's without payment from you. It's without payment from you. But it's been paid for. It's been paid for. It costs a lot to give you satisfaction that you cannot seem to get on your own. It costs a lot. It costs the Son of God his life. It costs the Son of God his everything to be able to offer to you living water, to be able to offer to you satisfaction, to be able to offer to you comfort and safety, to be able to offer to you his very presence. It cost him everything. It cost him everything so that you could have this great and incredible hope. And guys, you got to listen to me. You got to listen. Kingdom people are not just here and now minded. They're looking to the future and they're saying, yeah, but there's something better. You know what I need to do? I need to get done with my house and I need to say, what a shack. Not the shack, not the book, don't, not that one. But what a shack. I know I put new paint on it and 
I got some rough sawn beams on the front, and they're pretty cool. And then I did this, but it's a shack. Compared to the kingdom of God, his city that he paid with his blood for, the kingdom of God. you You know what we have to do? We have to say that the thing that I'm after right now, the thing that I want, it pales in comparison to. And it's not just to talk myself into that, because we can recognize the good things in life, the righteous things in life. Like, I have a good marriage, and I have great kids, and that is from God. That, 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 is, that is his kingdom. That's a, that's a glimpse of his kingdom. That's sonship and daughtership. It's, it's, it's a family the way that it's supposed to be. It's just a small glimpse of what God's ultimate kingdom is going to be. Are we looking for that? Are we looking for that? Is that what we want? Keep me in the joyful remembrance of my final rising. Keep me in the joyful remembrance of my final rising on that day when I will have a new resurrected body and I will be in a new creation. I will be a new creation. I will be in a new city. And God will be my God and I will be his son. And there will be no more crying and there will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness. And there will be no more cancer. Doctors will no longer have a job. Healthcare will no longer be an issue. Praise the Lord. Borders, gone. Doesn't matter. It's what I'm looking for because of the price that Jesus paid on the cross. And that the end of our Kingdom of God series. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know my, my same tendency to just forget every bit of what I just preached just now. Lord, I, I, I think that you have so much for us. And Lord, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see it happen at Outward Church. Lord, I'm praying that you're moving on the hearts of men and women here through your spirit. Lord, I'm praying that, that they would be asking you for that. That they would uh, just be honest with themselves and say, I, I don't really want that because all I see is just the things that I want here and now. But, Lord, I'm praying that you'd give that to me. Lord, give that to us. Give us a desire to follow you in these ways because of what you've done for us on the cross. Lord, propel us towards good deeds. Propel us towards this desire for righteousness. Propel us towards loving you in a way that we never have before. God, let, I, I, I pray that we would just pray together, that we would pray together this, this prayer that we're about to, to sing, this song. And Lord, that we would just 
emanate this idea that we just want you, God. We want you in our lives. Lord, there's people that walked in and they just go, I know that I'm not there right now. But Lord, I pray that they'd worship beyond what they are or what they think that they are. And just say, God, I want that. I want you. I know that you're the greatest thing. And I want you in my life. Lord, would we worship to that end? Would you do that in us? And Lord, would that resonate because of what you've done for us on the cross? Lord, we pray for this in your name. Amen.